Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Jyoti. Hello. Today we have Jyoti Denoda, and she's on today to talk about her sort of forced identity transition from a period of abuse. I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, and you're going to correct the whole story once I like <laughs> try to try to introduce you. Um, I just, right. I, I don't know the story. I just know these tiny bits that she, so she grew up born in, I don't were you born in, in the United States? I was born and raised in California. Yes. So born and raised in California of East Indian descent. And then her uncle comes from India and is living with you and ends up sort of with this emotional abuse, gaslighting, mental abuse. And then you had to like change who you were to sort of defend yourself and manage. And so we're going to sort of hear their story about who you were before he came and then what happened during this this time and how you how you've come forward and and are now like talking about it and and one of the you you can tell us at the end but tell us right now too so then you ended up like like you're going to do the whole bio at the end because right now Mm -hmm. I just want to get into your story but basically out of her experience she became an author so we like to celebrate authors What, what is the name of your book um, my debut novel is called The Chaos Within Us, but I do have six books out with the seventh one coming out next week. Oh, God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I don't know if I'll be able to make it through the interview, even thinking about writing six books. I just finished one and I'm like completely. <laughs> I'm a basket case. Well, I mean, I have 10, like in total, counting the six, seven, I guess you could say I have 10 written. I just have to release the other three as well with the seventh book coming out oh my goodness I fell in and, love with writing so uh well obviously yeah. I, I'm I mean my author guy he's like um the director of our program he's like well you know on your next book I'm like what next book <laughs> there, there's no next book don't even talk about a next book <laughs> so and you're like you're super young to have 10 books right <laughs> And that's what everybody says, but it's like, I I was not working. Um, mom's looking for like employment for the time being, right? I graduated in 2021 with my master's. So I technically am a pandemic graduate, which mm-hmm. didn't give me the opportunity to get internships or find mm-hmm. work, which makes it harder now to find work. Oh, so, God. Uh, I had this time period where I wasn't really doing much and um, I was going to therapy um if you would like I can get into the story yeah let's just let's just jump into your story yeah so um uh my uncle and his family had come March 6 2021 from Punjab which is in North India and 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 why don't we tell the audience how old you are because you know uncle niece um dynamics I'm well when he came here I want to say I was 26 or 25 okay so you were an adult a very young adult yeah 
I'm 28 now. I started writing when I was 27 though. And then uh, he's, well, I guess he was 53 or around when, when he had come in 2021, around his 50s, uh, early 50s, I guess you can say. And the first few months that they had come to California as a family, it was tolerable, I guess, it, you know, for a lack of better words. It was Wait, they, they came and lived in your house? Yeah, they lived in our downstairs, like, guest room. And are you, like, with your parents, or are you, you have well, your I own place? With my parents. You, you live with your parents, and so then the uncle comes and becomes in, into the same household? Basically. Okay. Yeah, and it was basically um, time, so I guess first two months were, like, like I said, they were tolerable. And then it got to the point where wait wait you know, what what does tolerable mean? It means like it wasn't as bad as it became. What were you tolerating? How would I put this? Mm. Okay, so clash of cultures, basically. I guess you can say in a sense, right? Growing up here, like our parents had given us a lot of freedom, and that's kind of what shows like you know that you trust your children and that you have a trusting relationship. It's like my sister and I and my brother if we wanted to go anywhere we would be like mom we're gonna go here and then we would be like tickets are going on sale this day I would like to go right and then whatever it was it's like okay you guys can go it was never like my parents had to like stick to us whereas he made his daughters which made me very uncomfortable because he made his daughters literally stick to him right mm. and as they are teen, um, and, they, and they're adult daughters, also teenagers. Oh, teenagers! One teenager. One was a junior. Well, I I was the one that did all the work, so I know that I started her as a junior in two thousand twenty-one, and then I started one of them as a fifth grader. A, a fifth grader and a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they were they were still, yeah, underage. Yeah, it was just very, I guess, uncomfortable for me um that situation and if whatever they needed to do they needed their dad's permission to always do it and which you know that part makes sense like you want to you want to make sure you, your parents know what you're doing and whatnot but it was just very like even recently in march one of my cousins had her 18th birthday party and it's like okay if you're gonna eat you're gonna eat with him for the daughters right and then I remember one of the younger one, she was like eating, the um, older one was finished eating, but she got up and then her dad looked at the younger one and then she immediately got up to throw her plate away, even though she wasn't done. And it's like, dude, really? Like, can you let them eat at least? Like, I, I just happened to see the look, like I just looked up because I was chit-chatting with my other cousin, right? Um, cause like I said, it was like a birthday party and I just happened to look that way. And I saw the terrified look on the younger one's face. And I was like, I'm like, I won't ruin the party, but I was just like, Oh, I want to punch him in the face one day. <laughs> I mean, and, no, and so, never the answer, but I'm like this close to wanting to punch him in the face someday. So before you go into further into your story, your parents are they first generation immigrants? They came from India. Yeah, were they born here? No, they came. Uh, they came from India, but 
here's the thing. My dad came when he was like in high school age. So okay. he knows like, so like I, we speak to him in English. We take him to WWE stuff. We're like, dad, let's go. Like, you know, like all that stuff. He, he knows. And my mom does pretty well too. Okay. Um, so they're very, even though they know India and the culture, they are very much Americanized because they came at such a young age. Well, my dad did. My mom came here in, in um, after she got married in 1991, she came here. And I was born like a few years after that. Okay. So, so your parents, I, I, I guess sort of, I'm just trying to like sort of establish that even though you're born and raised here, you still know a lot about the Indian culture, right? Yes, I do. And so when your uncle came and he was sort of domineering with his daughters, you mm -hmm. sort of knew that, well, back in India, that's just the way you do it? It's not. It's, I think, oh, if it wasn't even close to, even if you're close to your dad, you shouldn't be that close that you're making somebody else uncomfortable, you know? Um, I know that my other cousins have told me that he is very abusive towards his wife and the fact that there's only, um, like even now he doesn't work where I live. There's like a Panda Express and like a grocery store and like a CVS. So if I do go somewhere or anything, like say a job interview or if I'm going to go get groceries or if I'm going anywhere, like his car is always parked at like Panda or like the grocery store or something. And it's like, okay, what, what does he do for a living? The answer is he doesn't do anything because he's making his daughter work. He's making his wife work. His wife is working two jobs. Even when she was pregnant, uh, she recently ha had a baby here and he was still making her work. And when she, she, he made her work to the point where it was two days before the due date that she actually stopped working. And then about 40 days after, because I guess there's an Indian superstition. Well, I don't believe in superstitions, but there's an Indian superstition that you're not supposed to go anywhere for 40 to 44 days after you have a baby. Mm -hmm. um, so right when that 45th day hit, he made her go back to working. And she works at Subway and uh, Little Caesars. So she'll be Subway morning and Little Caesars at night. Hmm. Yeah. He, he sits in the parking lot on his phone and my brother and I have seen it. It's like multiple times, multiple occasions. Even if we go like because our town is very small so we'll have to go to another town to like get um if we want to go like clothes shopping or if we need to go um interview somewhere and we'll come back it'll be like two hours or something have passed by and he's still sitting there and it's like oh, what do you do and he's like oh i do delivery driving and i'm like how even my other cousins that are here like this is a very very small town that delivery is actually not even like pops up here so it's like, okay, so you're just going to let it like this. That's fine. Whatever, I guess. So, okay. So this is, so he comes, let's, let's start back where your story is not this time. I'll let you tell it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're just keep going back circles. I can't, I can just race. <laughs> so he comes and he's, he lives in your family's house with you and you have to take on some kind of parental roles to get mm -hmm. his kids into school and then you're sort of watching 
how he's treating them, but he's also living with you. So let's let's hear your story. Okay, so living with us, I guess you can say he turned our house into like a hostile environment in a sense, where um, it would be very uncomfortable to eat. It would be very uncomfortable to like tell um, or like even talk or say anything because they would always be downstairs and that's where the dining room is, right? It's downstairs. So they would like watch you eat and even if the girls wanted to try a different type of meat, he would be like, no, only chicken. Like you guys can only eat chicken or you guys can like vegetarian or chicken. And it's like here, even though even my sister has tried like, you know, they're going to get different stuff for lunch. You're going to get like in elementary, you get like hot dogs for lunch, right? And those are not like chicken based. You can get a tuna sandwich. You can get like pepperoni pizza. And then he said, in that case, then we're going to have to make lunch boxes. And I'm like, well, lunch is free here. But he's like, well, I, I don't want them eating behind my back and not knowing what they're eating. And so that kind of also just pissed me off too, like a lot. So when they did have this new baby, I was like, dude, I already feel so bad for her because I know what's going to happen to her. And she's what, like, uh, she was born March 5th. So oh, the new baby, you know what's going to happen to her. Yeah, because she was like, everything that he put them through, obviously he's going to put her through too. And the eldest and the youngest have an 18 year age gap too. So it's like, the middle child, I guess, would be like maybe 10 year age gap, mm-hmm. which is like better than 18, but still not like the best, right? But um, so March 5th, so April, May, June, July, four months. It's only been four months and it's like, we already know like, okay, good luck. Just good luck, that's all I can tell you. So wait, are, are they, is he still living with you? No, thank God, thankfully. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, so let's I, let's because so I interrupted you because I wanted to know what tolerate meant. Mm-hmm. So let's go from from tolerating further into your story. Yeah. Um. So basically, it got to the point where freeloading, I guess you can say, was what he was doing. I had literally came to the point in 2021 that I didn't want to be at my own house. I was working three jobs. And you have to remember, like, 2021 was still pandemic. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until, like, 22 that everything, like, opened up or, like, late 21. Um, I worked administrative assistant at a um, school district, like, in the district office. I worked retail. And I also worked as, like, an LPAC examiner because I just didn't want to be home. Out of what? LPAC examiner is basically uh, someone that tests elementary students. Um, to see if they need to be placed in ELD or if they are ready to graduate out of ELD. ELD is what? English language development. Is that like ESL? Yes, basically. Some people, some states call it ESL, some states call it e, uh, ELD. Okay, for so for English as a second language people, yes, you yes. were, you were t- doing administering tests. Because as a way, well, obviously you wanted to earn money and also you didn't feel comfortable being at home. Yeah, at my own house, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't want to go there. Like, Well, I grew up that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, let me just get out of the house. Because mm-hmm. my dad was physically abusive with us kids. Not with my mom, fortunately, but with yeah. us kids. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't physically abusive with the kids, but he was physically abusive to his wife. Mm-hmm. So. 
and I know actually called the police because I was I, like, I figured out I'm being mentally and emotionally abused, right? So I called the police here in, in our small town. And they said, unfortunately, there's no way of proving that. Like the officer I talked to was very kind, understanding. And he said, unfortunately, I can't do like much because there's no way I can prove that. So, so, so let's go into that. Uh, how did it come down to that you were being, or, or, you know, what did that look like being emotionally and mentally abused? And then how do you like come to the point to call the police on, on your uncle around that? It's just, it gets to be where he's just yelling at me and he was always just like, um, when you went to India, I took care of you. Like I was the one that showed you guys around and this is what you said and this and that. And I was like, bro, first of all, you're putting words in my mouth. Second of all, you're twisting the words in, like that I've told you, right? Um, and it's just like, I never said half the stuff that he was saying. And I was actually doing my master's degree in 2021 as well. I graduated in like December. So I was actually working on my thesis, which is like the hardest part to get your master's. Mm -hmm. And I was just so fed up that I actually called the chair of the department. And she actually lives like 20 minutes from me, ironically. <laughs> so um, I called the chair of the department and I was like, oh, I don't know if I could say her name. Oh, okay, but I, I just said, um, uh, um, I told her that I was like, um, hey, you know, this is my situation. Can I, is there, um, for, I asked her first, do we have therapy? Can grad students access therapy? Because I know that um, undergrads have like access to like the, the, well, uh, the wellness center and student services and all that. But I, I didn't know that grad students, you know, because I'm the first person actually in my entire family, like dad's side, mom's side to get a master's. So Yay. Oh my God. Thank you. Trailblazer. Yeah. Freedom so, fighter. Yeah. And so I said, can we get therapy? And then I also ended up asking, you know, you know, this is my situation. I just told her everything. And I said, I can't do my thesis. Wait, what oh, did you tell her about your situation? I told her what, situ like how it feels like a hostile environment that I'm living in, basically. Right. Um, I told her that it's basically abuse in a sense. And then I asked, can I live on campus? Do grad students get a right to live on campus? And I didn't know that we actually had a whole like dorm uh, building that's for transfer and grad students only. Mm. You know, so then I was like, OK, I'm going to look into that. And then she kind of told me about like budgeting and about like where I can apply for financial aid and just everything, you know, very, very helpful um, professor. And after that, I also have to tell her originally I was going to do a podcast as my thesis because we had non-traditional or traditional options. A podcast is what? As my thesis. Oh, really? Yeah, we had we had the options to do um, non-traditional or, or traditional. My like best friend at um, grad school time. Uh, she was actually going to film, oh, no, one of them actually filmed a documentary, and then one of them was also going to do a podcast with, like, as well, and then um, I know, like, one person actually was only doing a traditional thesis that was just going to write, everybody else was like, I'm going to create a video game, or I'm going to create um, some, like, and I, I just loved the fact that we had that non-traditional option, oh, yeah. but because I didn't have, like, you know, there was just constant yelling, and I'm like, okay, I can't, um, or, like, you know, 
find the time to get an audio engineer or stuff like that. I told the professor and I had to tell my chair as well. She's the chair of the department, but I might share for my thesis. I had to like let everybody know like, hey, this is what's going on. So I'm going to go ahead and do a traditional thesis because I, it's not possible. It's like literally impossible for me to do um, a podcast. Because if I, even if I do it in the like library or something, it's gonna be like, okay, a quiet room, yes, but it's like, I also need like, there's you need to be able to people talk. coming out. Yeah, mm. you're gonna have people coming in and out. And then even if I, like I said, if I book a room, it has to be like a soundproof room, which I don't even remember if my library had one of those. I know we had like a room if you wanted like a group session mm. and stuff like that. So he delayed my graduation. I was supposed to graduate in the spring, but because of him, it was delayed until the winter. I still graduated because I kept pushing myself and, you know, depression, anxiety. I know when school started back up and we were allowed to go back on campus in like late of 2021 because they had moved out by then. Everybody was like, what happened to you? I mean, it's like, it's the pandemic. And I was like, no, like I was one that didn't even hide. Like, you know, I was like, I was abused basically, um, not physically or like anything like that. But I kind of told everybody like my story and they were like, so that's so right before we jumped on the call you were like well I don't really know what if it's identity loss <laughs> and and that you just said it they you were a different person you became a different person yeah like if you look at pictures of me like 2019 you know you see like some I guess some bone and some well not bone uh, I guess that was a healthy weight. Let's put it that way, right? So, yeah, it was a, like a healthy kind of weight. And then 2021, even if I was to go to like just the temple here or anything, people would be like, why are you losing so much weight? And you look so thin. I literally went from a size medium to a size XXS, extra, extra small. And now I worked my way back up now that they're gone and everything. I'm back into like a small, you know, and I'm happy with my body right now. I don't think I'm going to go back up to a medium. I actually am content in the body I have right now. Um, but then it was just like this, this thing. Yeah, everybody was like, what's happening? Like, you're dying. And I was like, oh, yeah, depression kills. <laughs> so, yeah. And so during this time that that you were being abused, you you knew it was abuse and and you were like not okay um okay but oh yeah I was gonna ask did you go to and then you became depressed and anxious yeah. and so I mean is that you're 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 able to use those words now or in the moment did you realize that was happening and then seek the help for the um therapy at, at school yes um I did actually and not just um you know uh my therapist she was like under um she was getting her master's in therapy and counseling psychology but she was like under um like a professor obviously like she was a student therapist I guess you can say but she was very 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 nice and she moved to like Missouri um she wasn't very nice she was very nice oh okay good yeah and I think she moved to like Minis like Missouri or something um to finish her schooling and so I actually found another therapist 
outside of school, like an actual mm -hmm. one that had um, at a clinic. And I was with her until, I actually was with her until March of this year. Mm -hmm. So it took me a very long time now to, um, was it March or January of this year? Well, it just took me until this year, you know? Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time in therapy to be like, hey, you know, I still have nightmares and deal with everything. So you had more than depression and anxiety. Sounds like you might have PTSD. In a sense, yeah, because um, my brother and I, even now, we're like, we don't want to go to his apartment. We don't want to do anything for, you know, we don't want to do anything for somebody that made my life miserable. Whereas um, my other cousins that live here too, they had also come from India, but they knew what they wanted to do. They came with a plan. And I think they lived with us for about like two to three months and they got their own apartment. And that's why we're still so close because mm -hmm. it was never like, if I needed to help them, they knew what they do. Like he came from India, uh, the ones that do live uh, like right there. I'm putting like right there because they live like that close to us. Um, but he knew he wanted to do trucking. So he's like, okay, what do I need to do? You know, he got everything together. He came to America, got the documents that he needed, went to trucking school, got his trucking license. And now he actually owns his own trucking company. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, see, that's, you need to come with a plan if you're coming, not just in America, but if you're coming to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, we're raised with these Western standards. Like everybody is like, we got to go to work, you know, like, everybody has a life whereas I know in India a lot of people don't necessarily work because they can get away with um government benefits I guess or it's not really that needed for them to work I know when I went in 2009 and I stayed with the uncle that came like that came that I'm talking about that's abusive his wife just did like facials and like haircuts and that kind of stuff and she didn't even have her own like salon or anything but she made a living and so that means that even then he was making her do the work and that's mm -hmm. kind of what he got accustomed to mm -hmm. so you so in so you go like at some point you got kind of desperate and you asked for help you got mm -hmm. your professional help mm -hmm. and then you started understanding the situation and getting better coping mechanisms or what what actually helped you heal from from the depression and the anxiety and the nightmares whether or not it's ptsd but you know well I'd, i don't know if i would say um it's a hundred percent right now it's definitely better than before but um my therapist the one that i worked with through a clinic right she told me like can we start a nightmare journal can we and that's i actually still have one right and she said, can we start journaling? And that's kind of what I did. And that's what we would talk about in our sessions. Like I would take the journals, uh, both the nightmare one and like a regular end of the day kind of journal. And, and then I told her, I was like, I don't know if this is really, it is helping, but I don't know if it's helping to the point I want it to. And that's actually how I debuted with the chaos within us. Cause I took what I had from the journals from both journals and I put, so Nipi is the main character's name in the chaos within us, the main female character. And her trauma is my trauma. Other than that, all my books are fictional books. They're like 
romance books with enemies to lovers, fake dating, um, second chance romance, marriage of convenience. But in that book and just in that book, Neeti's trauma is my trauma. Like the fight scene kind of is um, like when Abhi and Neeti go back to her house for, I don't know if it was for like a holiday or a get together. You know, that was like my first book and I have like 10 of them now. So it was one or the other. Mixing but, up the, the facts. I do, yeah. Mixing up who's who at this point. Um, <laughs> but um, that fight scene kind of was also something that I guess you can say I pick and chose a little parts that actually did happen. You know, and I guess through that, just writing that character for me was my way of in, like hoping or like manifesting that in the future I do have a partner that's willing to stand up. And that was my way of saying like, okay, it'll get better eventually. So you started writing. Um, so you're, you're reminding me, I, I created this, it's called the Tough Stories Workshop mm-hmm. because I, I was learning story storytelling in this class because I wanted to be able to tell my story about losing my social work career in a more empowering way. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I can decide what parts of it to focus on and what parts to leave out. And, and it's, it's not lying. Everything is true. Mm-hmm. But it's just like how I'm going to frame the story. Can, and, it, and it can like leave me feeling better and it can like then maybe be inspirational to the people that I tell it mm-hmm. and so it sounds like you were kind of doing might have been kind of doing the same thing with your book so you were writing a journal for your therapy and then at some point you decide to start writing it into a, a novel yes and then making things and having control of the narrative right and and at so, the same time, processing, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead, finish it. That's okay. Well, no, and then, then at the same time, processing your story that you're putting down on paper, but choosing, you know, different ways to talk about it. Yes, basically, yeah. And um, even when, you know, he lived with us, and if we would have, like, guests over, it's mostly my dad's side that would come over. He would act like such a good person, you know? And that's kind of what annoyed me too is because like I know the real side of him and it got to the point where I told my therapist like I was actually crying one day like in the thing and I was like I just want somebody to believe me right and it's like but he's such a good person this and that I'm like he's a good person to you but you don't know what happens right anybody can put up an act for a few days and that's a line in my book too anybody can put up an act for a few days but for for me now the crazy thing is strangers are listening and they're not invalidating my trauma. It's actually listening to it. And I'm like, well, if, you know, like other people couldn't do it. It's like, okay, well, somebody can. They're listening through the narrative in your book? That, and I've been on like so many podcasts, like even right now, like you're listening to me, right? And we don't know each uh-huh. other. Right. So that's what I'm saying, like, strange, like strangers. Okay. I was going to say something else. I forgot what I was 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 thinking, but just back to when you're talking about the nightmares. I it's been 23 years since I lost my social work career to a a disability, and I still have nightmares of somehow like having to go back to work there. Uh-huh. It was like it was the worst social work job I ever had, and 
it was it was a completely toxic hostile environment and um and and yeah these nightmares they really they can really go on for a long time oh yeah without a doubt I mean I like I said I still get them and it's just unfair I think you know it's like what did I do to deserve like this and whatever which is um like nightmares are actually how you said PTSD which is also something that I cover in um the chaos within us as well Actually, I, I remember what I was going to talk about. So when you were describing your your book, the one that about your experience, yeah. I was envisioning you making a kind of a course out of it. <laughs> I, I bet that there are a lot of different elements in that book mm -hmm. that you could turn into little lesson plans and, and create an online course to help people who are being emotionally um and verbally abused because i mean it's a it's an epidemic it's it's part of human history yeah that, and the worst uh, thing is like i told my mom like so many times that whenever i do get married i don't want to invite him and she's like you're just creating the scene that's my younger brother this and that and i'm just like okay well guess i have to pay my videographer and photographer some extra on top of that to delete him out of all scenes so it's like he was never there because I don't want him there. I don't. And I have no problem saying that too. But. Well, you know what? And when that day comes, mm -hmm. it's your decision. I wish, but Indian families is like a whole different scenario. It's like, oh, you know, we're so-and-so and why is so-and-so not here? And um, that's actually like uh, going like back and I guess to this too, definitely like uh, the cover for the chaos within us. Okay. Can you? Do you see how there's two oh, hands reaching? Oh, the two hands. That's like symbolic right there of my story. And then hopefully someday to get um, a future spouse that is like, I got you. You know, that's kind of what this um, uh, symbolism? Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, symbolism, yeah. So there's that. Being fully supported. Yeah. And it's also how it, it does portray that cover literally portrays the story too, because like I said, her trauma is my trauma. Um, and so just for the people on on the audio, she oh. the the cover of her book has two hands, kind of like in that, isn't it a biblical um picture also? I don't know. Well, well I don't I, know if it's biblical, but anyway, of two hands sort of reaching towards each other in in support like one hand above and another hand below to help lift you up somebody in indonesia actually designed the cover oh beautiful yeah, yeah. i told her i just told her i just wanted um flowers and two hands kind of right and then that's kind of what she went with and i was like oh perfect <laughs> yeah so what did it what 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 did it feel like when you started you were having this therapy it wasn't enough and you started doing your writing I mean, did you intend to write a book or did, were you just sort of just sort of emerged out of your writing well i never thought i would ever write a book in my life right um unless you count like wattpad books when says you're the 28 year old with 10 books and counting <laughs> oh no i think i'm done after 10. <laughs> yeah unless you count like what right, famous when last you're a teenager. 
yeah, no, I wrote Wattpad books too when I was a teenager, which don't count. They don't count. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was never my intention. Like after grad school, I never thought I would be writing for like something. Um, but now it's crazy because I just searched up my name and now it actually says author underneath. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, you never thought it would ever say anything under your name. And it's like, that is so cool that my name actually has something now. But um, I got my master's in mark in social media marketing. And hmm. well, I mean, I got my master's in communication studies with the focus in social media marketing. That's yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm not doing anything with my master's right now. <laughs> but I yeah, I am my own. I am my own team. I guess that's one hard thing about being a self-published author is you're kind of in charge of your own PR. You're the one reaching out to people, um, having your own Instagram and whatnot, sending out, finding people that can like read your book and kind of leave a review. And I always tell them, you don't leave like, don't leave me a four or five star re review. Leave me an honest review because that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I know some art creators are like, um, ARC is ARC, which is advanced reader copy. So they usually get the book prior to it coming out. And a lot of them are um, required to give like five stars or four stars or whatnot. But for oh, me, every contract you sign with me is like, please leave an honest review. Okay. Yeah. How could you sign up a contract to say you're going to give a four or five star review for something you haven't read? That's weird. But it's just how they work. It's like, if you're getting a copy, then you have to give it like a good review yeah well that's so that anyway this the whole bestseller reviews it, it's it's a little bit of a racket out there mm -hmm. but um that's why I love my goodreads my goodreads is very like organic I guess you can say there's there's people that are giving me two stars and they'll tell me like you know it's good this there's just too much drama or I like this but I didn't like how much a fistfight scenes there were and I was like okay and that's what I think I really appreciate because for me, when I when I wrote the next book and the next book, I keep that part out because it's like, okay, I have honest feedback now. Mm -hmm. So before we wind up, so you um, just taking it from an identity lens. So who were you before your uncle came? Who were you at the depth of despair with him be sort of before the the straw that broke the camel's back and what was the straw that broke the camel's back where you finally decided something has to change I think it's when he started yelling at me and my own house you know when he started being um emotionally blackmailing in a sense and you know um I would cry to the point where I would hyperventilate and my dad would be like, somebody bring water, you know. If it wasn't for my dad and my grandma, I probably wouldn't be alive right now because they really helped. And my dad's side of the family, without a doubt, they were so helpful. And, you know, that's why um, in my books, like the main relationship or the common relationship is like, you'll say Chacha or like Chachu. And that's usually means dad's younger brother. And that's why I pay like tribute to those people mostly in um, character wise, because it's like without dad's side, I don't have like a good like family dynamic to 
and that's probably one reason why I'm like, I'm not having any kids because I will not be mom's side of the family. I will not be referred to as mom's side of the family. I'm like, no, thank you. That's way too traumatizing. And I don't want to hear that again. And I don't want to hear my brother be referred to the Punjabi term for the word uncle, mom's brother, which is mama. Um, so I'm like, I'm good. I'm okay. So you said that without your dad, you might not be here. So did you, you became suicidal? Yeah. So tell us about that. What What's that like to I mean, I always just felt um, I had to start another kind of like journal, I guess you can say. I never really told my therapist about that because I didn't want her to place me in, um, you know, I, I I forgot the name of it, but you know, when you are. Uh, 5150, uh, involuntary seven, 72 hours. Oh, hour involuntary. Fold. Yes, yes. Involuntary placement. I just wrote about it in my book that's coming out. I like, forgot. Okay. Involuntary placement. Yes. Um, you know, I didn't want the cops showing up and being like, we need to talk to her or something, because I would have just made matters worse. Because right. they would have been, why is the police here? Or like, what did you do? Straight up. They wouldn't ask, like, are you okay? Like, what? No. they would have been like, what did you do? Um, so I didn't even tell my therapist, because I know that, she, like, I already knew she was a mandated reporter. You right? knew what? She's a mandated reporter. Oh, like, a mandated reporter, right. Yes, right. So I didn't, but then, so what I did was actually started like a bucket list, which was kind of my reasons to stay alive. Like, okay, go, I have to go here still and I have to do this. And um, so it says like, go to Italy, go to, um, go to South Korea and just like, you know, just like a bucket list kind of stuff that you would be like, go skydiving and you know, all that fun stuff. So when I started doing that and whenever I would have like those thoughts or anything, I would either phone a friend, you know, because my friends kind of knew what was happening, or I would just look back at that, or I would just try to like distract myself by watching like um, something on YouTube or like a drama or something. You know, it's never like, yeah, he did drive me to that point, and I I can never forgive him, basically, you know. And if he does, it's like he hasn't even tried to apologize ever. There's also that. And now if he does, like if he hears one of these and it does, it's like, okay, well, now it's kind of too late. So when you were, did you ever attempt suicide? No, I didn't attempt it. Did you I have a plan? I was always thinking of my brother, like in the back, I'm like, well, I don't want to leave him in that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I can't do that to him. I can't do that to him. And what about the abuse that we all know it's wrong to be abused mm -hmm. makes a person want to take their own life because somebody else is doing something wrong? Yeah, that's so true. That's why um, for me, I was always like, I'm going to therapy for somebody that should be going to therapy instead. Yeah, I, I resented having to pay for my therapist to talk about how my dad abused me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, I like, oh, thankfully God. I was covered, first of all, um, when I was doing my MA at UOP in Stockton. Think, like I was covered because, you know, students, you're paying your tuition, so that's covered. Here, I was covered by the grant of the county because mm -hmm. it was still like pandemic. 
So a lot of people were going to therapy and whatnot. So I was covered by the county's grant. So I never really paid for therapy, thankfully, but I did get the help. And that's one big thing. Like therapy is like so frowned upon for some reason, but I feel like generations are changing that and being very like open about mental health now. Right. And different cultures are more open to it than others. I know that too. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, so sort of the straw that broke the camel's back was he started yelling at you mm-hmm. and you became so depressed that you became even suicidal and then you went and sought help. Uh, I was already seeking help prior to getting to the breaking point okay that's why my friends kind of knew what was going on and you know I would spend like four to five hours just there so I wouldn't have to go home like on the weekend mm-hmm. and then I know my brother he they would also yell at him too for and my brother's a very like quiet person he doesn't do anything he doesn't say anything to anybody he's a very good person right but they would just yell at him for literally nothing and it's like, what the hell? I'm like, you don't yell at him. I'm like, you want to fight with me? That's fine. We can argue all day, but you don't you don't say anything to him. Because he doesn't say anything to you. He's very like, he kind of just keeps to himself, you know. Mm-hmm. Very, He's very introverted. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, I'm super sorry that all of this was going on and that you still have to deal with him and in your family that's really tricky oh yeah without a doubt um so yeah so I wanted to just before we hang up who like identity wise who were you before he came who was the Jyoti before he came and then at the depths of your despair and then now you're in a in a different in a different zone who are you now well okay so prior to him coming right I felt I was always very happy I guess you can say a lot of people would always be like um that I'm always like smiling even when like I'm always like happily greeting people and whatnot um I was always just focused on studies very out uh, outspoken I guess you can say very extroverted um I would put my own sh- like I would be like hosting the Valley shows I would be hosting like the ho- Holy at um at the university whatever I could do I wanted to do I was very like let's do this and let's do that and this and that and then when he came here it was I still like went to see my friends but it was never like I, I guess I was faking a smile mm-hmm. everything was just like I don't want to go home. I don't know what's going to happen. It was very, I became somebody that suffered with anxiety and depression, which prior to him coming was never a thing, like ever, you know? And even and now, like after and when he came, even when I'm away, I guess you can say, I still, so let's, I went to concerts, if we backtrack a little. I went to concerts in 2018, right? I never once like threw up in hotels or never worried about like, oh, you know, like what's going to happen when I go back home, right? And then 
when he came and I know like we all took it like my siblings and I it was just us and we took a trip and I was like semi okay but I was very shaky like my body went numb and I was like okay I can't like I need to breathe I need to go outside I need to get some air you know that that never happened prior to him coming and then afterwards now I can't spend like I can't go anywhere with even though he doesn't live with us like when I go to a hotel or anything I'm gonna throw up because I still have that like what's gonna happen when I go back home even though he doesn't live with us and that's the PTSD you were talking about Mm -hmm. like is he gonna yell at me did he do anything to the girls while we were gone you know it's you know it's kind of sad because they're his daughters but at the same time I'm the one that has to be like did he do anything to the girls while nobody was home right and that's something that's even disgusting to think about but it's like you you know you have to think about it um yeah and I just I remember actually we took my brother he he graduated in spring of 21 with his BA so me and my sister and I went to Universal Studios and I just remembered shaking the whole time and I know prior to him coming I want to say 2016 my family like the five of us had gone to Universal and I had so much fun right like it was my first time there I had so much fun and then I was like yeah like we can do Universal again like that's fine right I couldn't even enjoy the rides I felt like I was gonna faint on the ride or something and I don't know if that was I don't think it was motion sickness because that would have happened like you know it would have happened at Disneyland too then your your body is is more delicate now it sounds like yeah so I can't even be like um my sister even uh fourth of july weekend she's like let's go let's go spend the night at oh what was it now it's about two hours from yosemite or like an hour from yosemite and she said we could rent a cabin or something i forgot what it was called but it's like not something um and i was like nope can't do that sorry mm-hmm. and my mom even too she's like you need to start taking overnight like trips and stuff Cause what if in the future, like, you know, you're, you're going to want to travel with your husband or whatnot. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell him straight off the bat, everything that's had, that has happened mm-hmm. and why I'm like this. So mm-hmm. if he, like, you know, then it's like, okay, I know the situation. And then one of my cousins on my dad's side, he actually wants to take a trip with just um, like cousins on dad's side and the cousins that are abusive are on my mom's side, I guess I can put it that. Um, and he's an EMT and I and I remember telling him I'm like dude I'm gonna throw up in hotel like I can't he's like I'm an EMT I see stuff more worse than throwing up get your like let's go on this trip (laughs) he's trying to convince me he's trying to get me um out of it as well you know like not out of it as in like snap out of it but like let's take these baby steps and let's take a trip to Canada you know which is like it's not near us but it's more closer than like let's go to Italy or something mm-hmm. but let's take those baby steps and start traveling mm-hmm. situation so there's still there's still ways to go for you to feel solid and and safe in the world it sounds like yeah I actually can't even trust Indian men now prior to that I had no problem I had I had friends that were Indian guys. I had friends that were like, you know, like whatnot. I had a mix of um, cultures, mm-hmm. I guess you can say like high school, college, whatever. Um, 
and then no high school college middle school they were always like mixed after that it's like I and even before then I was like yeah I want to marry like a Punjabi guy too like whatever you know like so we can understand each other we can make inside jokes and we can laugh and whatnot and now I'm like just keep all Punjabi guys away from me like I kid you not there was this one guy at university when I was doing my MA who I guess he like he tried to be friends but I was so scared that I pushed him away when I realized like oh my god this guy's gonna get close to me he's gonna be my friend or whatever and I just I ghosted him because I was so scared mm-hmm. and I was like I can't I can't do that again like I don't know what like I don't know what kind of guy you're gonna be because this is the kind of guy that he turned like you know my uncle turned out to be so and I feel I like I do feel like so bad and I know it's my trauma and I never explained it to him and you know I'm like I, I do feel bad, but at the same time, it's just like, I wasn't really thinking how I'm thinking now when I, when I was just like, well, you were, you were doing what you needed to do. Yeah. It was my fight or flight was just kicked in and I was like, block, 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 block. <laughs> I worked for a short time at, at a battered women's shelter mm-hmm. and it was in, in a very short amount of time, I started seeing all men as potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, men, they do have the physical strength over us. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't an unreasonable thought, but it's just like when, you, when you're overexposed to something really bad, then it, you start to see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And where it, where it isn't actually everywhere, but we, we see it everywhere. And it took me, you know, after I stopped working there, it took me a while to sort of recalibrate Mm-hmm. my assessment and my perspective of men mm-hmm. and and life and you know you're it, it takes time to to like process the trauma yeah it's gonna take me and 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 what I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's it's possible that as time goes by and you know whatever needs to happen for you to feel better Mm-hmm. that you can you're not going to be feeling the same way I, I, let me let me get out of therapy mode oh, no, <laughs> but I just wanted true. to give you a little bit of hope that is like oh it's, no. it's really easy to get this perspective and then put it on everybody where it might be sort of misplaced and mm-hmm. and, and it can it can go away yeah I mean hopefully but like I said it's going to take time and I guess for if I do end up with a Punjabi person or Indian person, it's going to be like, do you know how much patience is going to be required on his end? And that's going to be one of the key things. It's, I should just make a list of all of the podcasts that I'm on. And I'm like, you're going to have to listen to all of these and you'll understand why. <laughs> right. And it's, it's like, you know, when people, when, when women get sexually abused, men get sexually abused also. Oh, yeah. Um, and when a person gets sexually abused, then, you know, having loving, intimate relationships is, you know, is, is different after that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what I wanted to also say is that in my book and sort of this sort of reframing of people who are in trans, un, unchosen transitions, forced identity transitions, mm-hmm. is for ourselves who are in those transitions and for the people around us to just sort of lay off and, and let, let us 
B, not okay. Like, like it takes time to work through things. And just because everybody wants us to be okay, including ourselves, if we're not, we're not. And it's okay not to be okay. And so that's sort of one of the messages I'm, I'm trying to, to teach in my book is that transition takes time. Mm-hmm. And the more other people can, un- the more we can understand it, the better. But mm-hmm. also those around us need to be able to understand it. So just like you were saying, whoever you get with, they need to know your history and then, and therefore, how to, how to support you. Right. And, and we all need that. And whatever kind of um, forced identity transition we've, you know, whatever like rug has been pulled out from under us. It's, it's like, and then, and, and then, you know, in my old age um, and, and many years ago, I started to realize, you know, healing, healing is a lifelong process. Yeah, that, that's actually something similar to uh, a line in the chaos within us, within us, and it says healing is a crock pot process, not a microwave fix. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. Hold on. I, I wrote that down because maybe that'll be the title of this, this episode, if that would be I okay like with that. you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to, you know, I have to write up the show notes and then sort of figure out the, the title's always the hardest. It's like, well, what do I want to emphasize about this? This. But th- that is good because, yes, healing is definitely a crockpot process. And when we try to microwave it, it, it just, we, we, we end up sizzled and frazzled. And it's, it's just like, that isn't, that isn't how the, the human body processes especially trauma oh yeah yeah, like 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 learning what's that there's also that other saying that hurt people hurt people oh yeah you know and that's why I'm just like well I'm not gonna until I I'm like I always say this to my sister too because she's a year younger than me and um you know she's like I've never dated but she has you know and I'm like I can't until I know I'm ready because I can't like have this open wound leave blood on somebody else you know I'm like you you guys have to be patient with me like I don't care that I'm almost 30 and never dated I just you know my goal was actually prior to you know my uncle coming like I had like this plan that I was like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this and hopefully at this time I should have my first apartment and with him coming it's like okay I just nothing I'm too I'm too even like scared now to kind of go live on my own because I'm always like because he's he's also always saying like yo I have like friends everywhere like all throughout America and I have friends like here I have so many right and you know it's at the same time I'm like okay if I do move out is he gonna send one of them after me am I gonna be safe to live alone or you know do I need to buy a taser this and that kind of stuff which shouldn't be something that I should be scared with like a family member saying but it doesn't have any anything any part of this equation we're talking about reality and reality has really ugly sides to it and and abusive people are you know can become very dangerous and that's just you know that's reality that's that's why I'm doing as many podcasts as I can I'm like if anything ever happens to me 
it's on record. It's on record now. It's published in book. It's on podcast. It's on YouTube. Go listen to somebody. They'll know. But let me just—I want to challenge you on what you said that you—you know—you haven't done anything or you haven't sort of gotten anywhere. You've written ten books. Yeah, and one of them <laughs> was a therapeutic book yeah. that you can turn into a course. Yes. Or you could you could actually make a workbook out of that mm-hmm. and help others. So this is this is the really shitty part of life is that some of the worst experiences is where we get the most growth and then we can help others with. It's like, can I just like help others without having to be hurt myself? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the same time, I'm like, if I never got hurt, would I ever be an author you know so exactly exactly and and that's it's like life life like life happens we we only have so much control and but what we have control over is how we respond to it what we do with it and I guess you know during my my 20s we won't we won't go into it but (laughs) I did you know okay let's just let's just say with the context of I was physically abused by my dad and he yelled at me and and then I yeah. I yelled at him and it was like horrible. And fortunately at 29 or 30, there was this reconciliation that happened like without any planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second half of my life has been great with him. But um but but anyway, so so my 20s, I didn't have good relationships, especially with men. Yeah. And, but I always was like, you know, this is really bad. I'm so stupid. Why would I do this? It's, I was like sort of dissociate and watch myself saying yes when I wanted to say no. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of thing that people do, it's it's just a, a, a coping mechanism that we learn mm-hmm. while we're being abused. And then it becomes a habit later in life. And I would always say, you know what? Once I get out of this, I'm going to put some some use to this lesson that I learned. Yeah. And so that's that's sort of how I became a good social worker, because later I was listening to other people going through the same problems, but actually at much worse levels than I ever got to. And I could relate and I could empathize and I could help them because I could they could tell I really cared. And I actually did have a little bit of wisdom that Mm -hmm. sometimes helped and so that's that's sort of you know later in years now I can see okay this is just how life is that basically everybody has tough stuff and a a chance like we don't invite it we wish it had never happened and yet it did happen so therefore am I gonna like spend my time resenting and hating and feeling like life is unfair and I was mistreated and maybe all of that is true but what does that do for us versus like okay so this happened and then I like like I kind of wonder why I became a really compassionate person Mm because I could have become because you can grow up and become the abuser and things like that too so that's that's just the the interesting thing about these these really tough situations is okay so what what I guess now there's a term I haven't like really studied it but I keep hearing it post-traumatic growth 
Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah. So that's what that's what I see is, um, you know, with this book that you wrote is that it's it's an incredible. I mean, growth, because first of all, you're able to talk about it. You're not like bursting out. I'm not saying, you know, we all like healing goes on for, forever, really. Oh, yeah. Um, but you're able, you know, you're stable. You're able to talk about it you're thinking logically about your future you are thinking about your safety because you know you can't just deny reality and and yet you're you're on podcasts you have your book you're so yeah let's just wrap it up and you tell us give us your bio who are you what do you do how can people find you online and um stuff like that okay so um as it was mentioned earlier, my name is Jody Denota. I am a self-published author who writes about topics considered taboo in South Asian communities. I debuted with The Chaos Within Us, as you guys heard, or uh, is it, if this isn't earlier, as you guys will be hearing, uh, for my healing journey. I am releasing a book called Finding Home that is coming out July 20th of 2023, which will be my seventh novel. After that, I will also be releasing three other books this year. Not sure exactly what month um, due to editing and finding oh, yeah. the layout and all that, you know. That that takes the, writing is the easy part. Editing and finding graphic designers and everything is the harder part. Um, I can be found on Instagram at G-E-E-T is booked, which is a little pun on books. Um, I also have my own website called Geet Writes. So it's G E E T W R I T S dot C A R R D dot co. It's geetwrites.card.co. Um, created it. Well, the card itself was there, but I created everything myself. And I'm the founder of Sincerely Geet MH, which I also kind of created myself and Sincerely Geet MH dot card, C A R R D dot co. And that is a website on mental health where you can reach out to me and we can talk as unlicensed therapists so it's for people that aren't necessarily insured. And I can guide you to the right people as lawyers, um, nurses, doctors, police officers, therapists. Um, what else? Yeah, that's pretty much me. <laughs> so look at what you have done. <laughs> oh my god crazy when you say it <laughs> yeah. you have this is now this is jyoti 3.0 basically yeah <laughs> this is this is not jyoti who went before your uncle came mm -mm. and and the people that you're helping and and will continue to help and let me just say this to the audience this book i haven't seen all all of your books but the one oh that you showed us it's not a puny little book it's like two inches thick <laughs> these are the other ones okay so her books are like 200 an inch, and a, inch and a half to two inches thick these are these are not like little pamphlets that she's self-publishing <laughs> so you you are just absolutely hitting it out of the park 
and you're so young and you have so much thank you so far and such a wide reach mm -hmm. and i just i just wish the best for you thank you yeah the the um the chaos within us is actually the biggest book it's 351 pages everything else is like 182 to like 200 something and that's about it so what's a couple of takeaways you want to leave the audience with if, well, you're, one, if you're being well you just go ahead i won't i won't put any okay. one of the things i always wrap up with is you know writing something me heal it can help you heal too you, i don't as i've been saying i don't have a degree in english i don't come from a background of english my master's degree was in communication studies my bachelor's was in communication as well communication media with a uh, minor in journalism and i started off community college as a business major so like i said no english background didn't know what i was doing how to figure out kdp self-publishing had to figure out how to write a book how to figure out where do i find editors and everything um, now i'm actually guiding somebody who's writing her first book and um she's in my acknowledgments and finding home and the fact that i can now guide people because i know what i want to do and i would love to see especially indian representation we don't see that a lot I mean, we do see indian representation not a lot but we do not see punjabi representation so my books actually have um, punjabi main characters to go ahead and give that element of punjab and um, punjabi culture and put it out into the world and hopefully i get picked up someday by an agency and you guys can see my books at like Barnes and Nobles or Amazon. Oh, no, they are available on Amazon. Or I meant to say like Walmart or Target. They are all my books are available on Amazon. Barnes and Nobles will has it online, but if you publish on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles will not carry your book in store. Yeah, so many details about publishing. Yeah, but do it. Write it. Right. If if you need a heal, do it. You don't need to have an English background. No, you certainly don't. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jyoti, thank you so much. Of course, thank you for having me. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. 
If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.